Welcome to the Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. Hi, I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Bela, today I'm really excited to welcome back our old friend, Devin Watson. Uh, those of you that have listened to the podcast for a while, I think we've had Devin on twice now uh, in the past, and he's somebody that you and I have known for a long time and bounced a lot of ideas off of. And we were recently, we read a, a blog posting that Devin put up on artificial intelligence. And this is something that, Bela, you and I haven't talked about yet on the podcast, but it's something we've talked about offline quite a bit. Um, and what we're going to ask Devin to come in and talk about a little bit are just some of the very basics that people who are interested in um, entrepreneurship or innovation, or really, to, in my view, anybody interested in any aspect of society and the world needs to think about. And we'll ask him to identify some of the key opportunities that artificial intelligence is bringing to the table. It's not something that's brand new. It's just something that's rapidly evolved in the last really several months um, to, a, to a new level. Um, we'll ask him to talk a little bit about some of the risks and the, the, uh, the negative implications of AI on society and on businesses. Um, and then hopefully what we can do is finish up with a conversation about a path forward. Um, to use this as an opportunity to to move our society forward. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. So let's bring in Devin Watson. Devin, thanks a million for joining us. Happy to do so. Thanks for having me back. I'm always surprised to get another invite. <laughs> uh, anytime, Devin. You know, you're one of our favorites. Why, thank you. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation. Uh, maybe to tee it up, you know, I'll, I'll give a few kind of quick examples of what's been going on in the world of AI. And, and it's something that honestly just froze me in my tracks when I realized the rate of change. And, you know, having been in, in venture capital where, you know, we're trying to look for trends and figure out where the puck is moving, even the world of software, software as a service, cloud computing, uh, you know, even looking at Moore's law, those things are staggeringly slow in comparison to the rate of change in artificial intelligence. So I started kind of geeking out on this several months ago. And in that amount of time, the technology has already leapfrogged across what's called the uncanny valley. And the uncanny valley is this idea that technology can be human-like up to a point, and then it starts to trip a thing in our brain that makes us think, whoa, that's weird, that's not quite human. Right. And it gave us this filtering mechanism. Right. And a lot of, you know, movies like Avatar. Right. were right at the edge of the uncanny valley where you could tell it wasn't real. AI in the last few months jumped over it. So to give you a couple examples, uh, ChatGPT went from 175 billion parameters to one trillion in the last couple months. Uh, and a lot of the image models did similar things. And, and what does that mean practically in, in things you can see? So stable diffusion, which is one of the image uh, generative AIs, a few months ago couldn't create an accurate looking depiction of a human being because the software would put too many fingers on every hand. Since then, inside of one month, that's been rectified. And now if you look at a image generated by stable diffusion of a human being who has never existed on planet Earth, you can't tell it's not a real picture. It's photorealistic, it's perfect. Uh, the people creating the prompts even specify the lens and exposure length of the, of the shot. Uh, also in the last couple months, David Guetta, uh, the uh, electronic dance music artist, released a song that had a vocal track that was written and then produced by AI to sound like Eminem. 
and that was in February. And it was a big deal. Everybody's like, this is really innovative. It's really interesting. Fast forward from February just to April, and an AI algorithm wrote, generated, and posted a song that it called Heart on My Sleeve. It was by Drake in The Weeknd, uh, two big artists, completely fabricated and racked up hundreds of thousands of views on, on YouTube and Spotify in the first minutes because the fans thought it was real. Uh, and that's the difference in technology from February to April. So it's been just a, a really wild uh, explosion of, of technology. So maybe to get the, the conversation going, um, this brings up a bunch of interesting challenges, right? So you've got an explosion of content, you've got the ability to create uh, something out of nothing. Uh, maybe to start with the content explosion, right? How do you guys think about that, right? And Mike, especially as an educator, you've got the challenge of, where are these thoughts coming from? Are these thoughts from my student or are these thoughts from ChatGPT? Absolutely, Devin. And, you know, I think this is keeping up uh, late at night, a lot of people in academics, and is this going to steal our job? And right, wh wh who's learning what, how? Um, and I, and to me, I love this stuff, but I'm a, I, I love change, techno technological change, especially, and I love figuring out what the best way to use this is. And so you're right. So. I guess I look at, there's two elements of the educational process. One is how you're teaching and one is how you're assessing and evaluating that learning. That's giving the grades, right? And at the end of the day, we give a diploma. If we figure out that you've done all the knowledge and skills and we've measured it and you pass, great, you win. Uh, here's your diploma, thanks. And they go out into the workforce and this kind of certifies theoretically that, um, that when you hire one of my former students, like you've done a couple of times, right? That they have this knowledge and skill base. So looking at this through the AI lens, when we can generate all kinds of content um, without actually doing the work, um, it says, okay, we have to rethink how we're teaching and how we're assessing. Assessing is actually the easier part. We just can't give paper topics that there's all kinds of content out there for, that we have to get students to use that content and think critically and assess and evaluate and do things that go beyond just listing essentially content. Um, so that means we have to change how we teach. Uh, so kind of working backwards through this problem, how do we ask students to use, to, first to understand what AI is mm -hmm. and what generating content really means. And we, the first thing you have to do is get them trying it. And they're gonna try it anyways. It's kind of like, to me, drinking your first beer or smoking your first marijuana or something. You're probably better off that your parents know you're doing this in most cases, <laughs> right? So they can guide you through what to expect, right? Even though I know that probably freaks out a lot of people that are parents, but I think it's better to have these new experiences when it's a guided experience rather than something that's furtive and, uh, and uh, uh, underground. So the first thing I wanna do is, and I do is invite my students to use it and we do it together. And we take a look at some of these, these amazing challenges i mean you, you really laid it out great devin the, the advances that it's making week over week over week let's talk through those and let's take a look at those but let's also look at the downsides together and together let's use what we can get and combine this in different ways and with different perspectives and different types of information not just what we can get from the internet but what we can experience with our own eyes and our own ears and our own nose and taste and everything right and pull this together and then generate something beyond what chat gpt brings out. So it's a new learning process and then a new way to assess it. Sorry, short question, long answer, but that's where I'm sitting right now. Thank you. So I think I think one of the interesting things here is, as you were saying that, I'm, I'm reflecting back on when, when I was a young lad, uh, 
And when I had to do a report for school, I had to go to the library. Right? I actually had to have my parents drive me to the library, get the books, take them out, bring them home, et cetera. And then this thing called an encyclopedia was invented. And, and if you spent, if your parents spent $400, they could buy this set of encyclopedias. In installments. In installments. An aggregation of all this information that was sort of in the library, condensed. And then, you know, that, those 23 volumes turned into a CD, turned into, and now it's on your phone. So this, I think, I think the difference, at least as I think about it, is this is yet another way to aggregate information in a very quick and, and efficient way and, and reduce it down to something that's usable. But the notion of synthesis of new ideas is a different category, right? And as I have said in the past, you know, everything we have in this world is, is because someone was willing to try something new. And that has resulted in, in great things happening. So I, I still, in my own mind, segregate aggregation and the ability to pull all this information together, throw out the chaff and get it down to something that's really meaningful versus the synthesis of new ideas. Now, the place that stumps me about what I just said is this notion of image generation, <laughs> right? Because that to me is really close to synthesis. Mm -hmm. and music right or making yeah. mu making new music but it's right it's it's fundamentally mimicking something that exists right it's not it 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 you're not going to get picasso out of if picasso never existed right you're you're mm -hmm. not going to get some new kind of art out of this uh you're not yeah. going to get new music out of this you know david bowie's a, a version of david bowie's not going to emerge out of this i don't yeah. think so anyway, but that, I, this is what I, I want, Bela. I want my students to figure this out. So what I'm going to do, what I do is I say, okay, first tell me what makes a great um, marketing campaign, right? What's what's what kind of music uh, leads to more consumer engagement? What type of images leads to more consumer engagement, right? And I want them to go collect some facts, and then I might want them to interview an expert to see what an expert says. So they have to go do an interview with somebody, and then I want them to ask ChatGPT to create some images and to create a music jingle, right? And to create some Instagram posts, and then I want them to use the and and then they report on that, and then use the cat the 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 criteria that you told me in the beginning and what the expert told you to evaluate this campaign right and how would you make it better go back then show this expert and see what they would suggest that it, that it does better and that would now be the complete assignment that they could do in the same amount of time if i just said before you know generate ad content and they had to do it by themselves so they can do more with less time and you have to get them to cut through the bullets i gotta watch my language you have to get them to cut through all the 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 fluff right mm -hmm. to really create something and hopefully in that that time bela they can develop something that's new and unique. They right. can develop right. and become the next David Bowie, right? How cool is that, right? right. And, and this brings us to an interesting uh, juncture because one of the, the policy issues around AI is the generation, right? The synthesis of something brand new, especially when it comes to facts. So let me tee this up with the following example. Uh, preparing for this podcast, I asked ChatGPT to summarize the last few episodes uh, of your show. And then I asked it, you know, tell me about Bela Musitz. 
Uh, and it said, and I'll paraphrase, Bela Musitz is one of the co-hosts of The Unconventional Path with Bela and Mike. The podcast explores entrepreneurship and unconventional paths to success. He has over 20 years of experience in technology and entrepreneurship, blah, blah, blah. So far, so good. And then it decides to get all generative on us. Next portion. Prior to his work in entrepreneurship, Bela worked in engineering at Silicon Graphics, Autodesk, and Hewlett Packard. He holds a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from UC Berkeley and a master's from Stanford, which is a really weird way to spell RPI. Right. right. None so, of that, that, that none of that last stuff is accurate or true. Yeah. <laughs> and, and furthermore, Bela, as you pointed out earlier. You're an N of one. There are not many Bela Musets out there to get confused with. So this thing just made it up, right? And now we can we can have facts, quote unquote, delivered to us by an algorithm that is not contained to scraping the internet for information. It actually uses what it scrapes from the internet to then tailor the next experience to what it thinks the user might want to consume whether it's correct or not. Yeah, and and to me, so it, it'd be interesting to figure out, okay, where did it get that information from? That I went to Stanford, which I didn't, that I went to UCLA, that I didn't, that I worked for Silicon Graphics, that I didn't. So it, it got that information from somewhere and it, and it, and it aggregated stuff together and, and it came to this conclusion. So that's the, to me the scary part because people will believe that People say, oh, this is it. And all of a sudden, now they're changing reality, <laughs> right? Because right? what you believe is reality. And, and so I think this is one of the things that we really, this is the opportunity. The opportunity is to use this AI to help us get rid of the fiction and the fake stuff and move us closer and closer to what the facts and truth are. Because I think mm -hmm. that's the part that, that is really helpful because we're inundated with all this information that's often tailored for us I don't need yet another thing that's that's helping to reinforce the wacko ideas I already have. Right? I, I need something to say, here's the facts, and you you can draw your own conclusions. I don't need something, some another piece of technology to to draw conclusions and then say, here, Bela, this is what you should be thinking. And so mm -hmm. I think that's the place if we're gonna regulate it or just do something good for mankind. Let's get back to the notion of facts being accurate and focusing on facts and not mm -hmm. trying to synthesize things or drive opinion. Because to me, that's where it really gets dangerous, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we, we've all heard those stories about, well, I read it on the internet, so it must be true. Well, holy smokes, chat AI sort of brings another level to that. Well, the AI machine told me that this is it. And holy smokes, when it comes to bail and use, it's, that last sentence, last three sentences wasn't true. Nope. That to me is the danger here. Nope. I, I, I fully agree. And, and I call it the, uh, the epistemological nightmare, right? That's the scenario you're painting where, you know, today we already have algorithms on all social media that tailor our view of the world via the internet so that I get fed more and more content that I find addictive, right? And for me on YouTube, that's the channel with the boats going through big waves. And every time it comes up, it suckers me into wasting another 30 minutes of my life. For somebody else, the, the algorithm will find your weakness and feed it to you constantly. And in especially in the, the room, realm of political discourse, it's for the most part in the US, 
it's red content and blue content. Well, this new layer of technology allows it to go from red content and blue content to an N of one content stream for every individual user that's real-time generated. And the, the key with these large language models is it's a statistical model. It's not a search engine. So it didn't necessarily find the incorrect reference to Bela Musitz and UC Berkeley. It invented it, right? That's a massive departure from the way we're all trained to think about technology, right? We're, we're trained basically via the Google prompt, which is troll the internet, bring me back something that is posted someplace. AI takes it another level and you say, you're thinking search the internet and it's thinking, I'll give you something great. It might not exist. Right, right. right. Hey, I think I figured out the mystery. I did apply to Berkeley and I did not get in. <laughs> They turned me down. Ooh, so it must your have found rejection that application. lives on the internet somewhere <laughs> 50 years ago. There you go. It was going through a file drawer in California. Yes. Had to get through the dust and the cobwebs. Yeah. So that personalized reality, I think, Bela, what you're describing with using this technology layer to actually remove that level of personalized reality remove the content clutter because if we switch the lens to business for a second right business has a whole bunch of opportunities around efficiency obviously right there's tons right. of jobs that are routine that can be automated there's tons of go-to-market impl implications uh the cmos that i talked to you know my previous uh role was as a chief marketing officer of a fortune company for people in the corporate world You've got the efficiency lens, which is an opportunity, basically translation. We're going to get rid of people and replace them with software. Uh, makes perfect sense in coding, lots of other applications. You've got the uh, other side of that, though, which is in go-to-market, you're going to have an explosion of activity, right? You're going to have, instead of one white paper on the benefits of XYZ, you're going to have 10,000. Right. Instead of one person trying to cold call you, you know, or reach out to you on LinkedIn, you're going to have 10,000 bots trying to do it all simultaneously. So you've got this, you know, massive clutter of just outbound bot activity. Um, how do Bill, how do you think about, you know, the potential upside for business of efficiency and, you know, go to market horsepower? versus what's that mean for, for employees and, and people in some sort of a automatable role? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think from the point of view of go-to-market opportunities, I view this not as, a, as an opportunity to figure out how to send out 1 million emails. I view it as an opportunity to send out 10 to the absolute 10 perfect customers. That's, that to me is efficiency. It's increasing the volume of junk that gets sent out has nothing to do with efficiency. <laughs> so I, that, that's, where, that's where I think this, I think, can help to say, look, these are, these are the 10 customers, 10 potential customers you should call on. And, and if we can drive it in that direction, that's of benefit to the customer and to the, the seller, to the buyer and the seller. It's making both of their lives more efficient and more effective because neither one is, is dealing with, with stuff that they're not interested in. 
So to me, that's where that opportunity is. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I, I buy it. But how do yeah. you, let, let's go to the efficiency side for a second. Um, in uh, aside from go to market, because uh, I, I hear you, and I think some of the the uh, some brands will go that way. Uh, but I'll put $100 on most brands going for <laughs> mass extinction level protocol of just flooding the airwaves, right? Uh, which statistically has has worked. Um, it'll now just be that much more uh, volume. Uh, but we'll see. On, on the efficiency side, let me maybe lay out a case for the way I see uh jobs kind of evolving over the next few years. And in, in my view, it's not a super hopeful case that I'll lay out, but I think it brings us to some big kind of questions and, and areas of, of opportunity that I think people should be thinking about. So, you know, historically, any new technology has come with, uh, you know, GDP growth, some sort of new unanticipated jobs. Uh, and, you know, the the counterpoint to AI is, you know, it's going to steal all the jobs. Uh, you would have many prominent investors saying, no, 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 you know, it's just going to create a whole class of new ones that we don't understand yet. And I, I, I like that view. Um, I would say, though, that at least from what we're seeing right now, what we can bet on is that it's going to change workforce composition dramatically. And if you were to look at a skill curve, you can say basically any routine job is going to face automation, right? So if you're standing in a factory and you're stamping a piece of metal, a robot probably already does it or will soon. If you are in a hospital and your job is just to read an MRI image, guess what? The software's there already. We just got to get rid of the humans. And that's more of a labor relations issue at this point. Everybody knows the software's better. Where the, the new technologies and AI I think change that discussion is in non-routine jobs. So at the low end of the skill curve, you have uh, non-routine uh, jobs that can't be automated, a plumber, right? Design me a robot that can crawl under my sink and get all the junk out of the way to fix a pipe. Really difficult to automate. The high end, you have uh, you know paramedics or other types of emergency workers, things like that, where again, takes a lot of skill but it's not uh, at all routine. In the middle of that skill curve, you have really interesting jobs that are medium skill, you know, medium routine, things like uh, a journalist, an architect, a designer, uh, you know, graphics processing. There's all these jobs that they're, they're great jobs, right? They uh, provide a level of satisfaction. I call it the desirable middle of the skill curve. And what I see in some of these new AI tools is, oh my gosh, you know, put myself in my, my previous role as a chief marketing officer. I had a big team of designers, highly paid because what they do really matters. And the software now can 90% do it. Instead of a team, I'd need one. And, that, and that's the, the, the change in the last couple months. Um, so I think that leads to a concentration of jobs at either the very high end of skill or the low end of skill, in either case, things that can't be automated because they're non-routine. Um, so 
the question, I guess, you know, very big picture is what do we do about that, right? Do you have to tax the output of the automation in a corporate setting because there'll be so many, so many fewer middle of the skill curve, kind of middle class jobs potentially at the end of this? Uh, do you have to look at UBI or some other type of, uh, you know, income protection for the middle of the skill curve? How do you guys think about that? It's a great it's a great conundrum to think about. And I, I love the way you're breaking apart these different groups of people because I think there's no one solution that works for everybody. I've really watched from a distance with uh, curiosity about universal basic income and what this does to people. And, you know, I'm living in a in Germany. I think the people who are listening know this um, where it is a more redistributive redistributive system. Um, and there is a much more manageable or a bigger social safety net, not fully, right, like UBI, but everybody's got access to health insurance. It's supported by the government for those with low incomes. Um, there is a fairly significant unemployment insurance and social welfare. Um, there's support for people with kids, right? The, you get paid by the government if you have children to raise. Um, mm -hmm. with the idea that you can afford food um, and childcare for them. Um, there's still lots of problems with this, and this is why I watch with wonderment, but I think that might be part of it, Devin. And I, there's been experiments, as you know, in the US, and I think these experiments need to continue until we see evidence one way or the other. Are these good or bad, or is there something in the middle? So I mm -hmm. love I love ex continuing to experiment with this idea. And AI itself can help with this, right? In terms of collecting large amounts of data and figuring out where investments in people um, go to, right? And how we can best best um, point uh, any funds that we have to, to ways that can make people's lives better. I, I love this idea. Um, on the other hand, too, uh, incentives. I'm a big incentives guy and incentives for retraining and for figuring out how to change the skill mix for people to have so that they can transition to these types of, from these types of kind of lower skill to higher skill jobs is, is amazingly important. And for all the time maybe that I have to spend as an educator because I don't have to teach as much because students are going and learning on their own, right, using KI, maybe I can use that time to spend helping to generate these new skill sets um, and work with companies to generate new jobs and, and jobs that pay well, um, that there's not so much human cost to some of the stuff that, Bela, you were talking about, right, that there's real value added. So it's a huge challenge. So I totally get what you're saying, Devin. I don't have any answers, I guess. I'm just echoing that these no, are the things you need to, to, yeah, to talk about and think about and experiment. I, we don't do enough experimentation. We spend too much time arguing left and right instead of saying, you know what? Let's try it. Let's let's set up a limited example and spend uh, a limited experiment and collect some data and go for it. And instead of arguing what I think versus what you think, let's try some stuff and see what works. Uh, it's it's to me, it's a really powerful model that we're not using enough of. So as you're saying that, it got me thinking about this notion of reflecting back when I first got while I was going to school, while I, while I was not going to Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I worked as a drafts person during the summer, right? Which means I had a pencil in my hand and I was drawing engineering drawings for an engineer. I worked with an engineer. He'd come in, discuss ideas with me. I'd make a drawing and then I'd show it to that person and then we'd modify it and change it. And all that went away with computer aided design. All of that went away. And now the engineer is doing that. So the draftsperson job basically went away. And there's lots and lots of examples of that in history. So to me, the real question is, 
from a societal perspective and from an education perspective, how can we prepare people to know or to be ready for changes in their jobs and careers so that so that they don't say, okay, I, I went to school for X and I'm going to be X for the next 45 years until I retire. That's not going to happen anymore. Those days are gone. I don't care what you do. Those days are gone. So I think we need to make changes and, and figure out our educational system so people are prepared to have several different jobs or careers, whatever you want to call them, job paths in a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Because the notion of having of doing the same thing for all 45 years is going to get the number of people doing that's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller going forward. Because after AI, there'll be something else. <laughs> and it's going to come even faster, right? That's the thing here. The, the, at, the, the notion of how AI moved from fundamentally being non-existent to where it is today happened so fast that it, it sort of people are not ready for it. Some of the other developments that happened, you know, you can go back, you can go back a generation and each of them had some big innovation but each previous generation's innovation happened slower, got, got adapted slower, got accepted slower. Now it's happening really fast. So how as a society can we educate people and prepare them for these changes? That's what I think is the real challenge. And, and, and I don't know how we do that, you know, but this notion of, of people wanting to and, and willing to change careers and jobs. It's going to be required. Yep, that's, I know, that's that's my two cents. It's a, it's a it's a great thought and uh, maybe a good place to to kind of cap the conversation because I think that's the the key message is that there will be ongoing change and it won't be pre-announced. Um, and 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 maybe to to give a couple quick examples to to drive this point home. And I really would encourage people to go down the rabbit hole a little bit on AI. I think the image creation is a good proxy for it, just as a, it's a way to really consume very quickly the key idea that uh, it's here and it's staggering in what it can do, right? So uh, two examples, one, and I, I don't recall which uh, photography magazine this was, but the winning photograph for the year in their annual contest was AI generated. And it's a human being, and the editors of a photography magazine couldn't tell that it wasn't a real person and a real photo, uh, which is just amazing. Uh, many people are making the case that within two years, instead of watching a movie, you will tell the movie what it is you want to see. I would like to watch Jack Reacher 5, and I would like there to be a sad ending, and I would like it to take place in Paris. And Mike, you might sit down to the same movie and say that you'd prefer that it take place in Tokyo and involve a lot of boats. And it will be rewritten on the fly using many of the same constructs, but it can actually change dialogue, change action, et cetera. Um, the second example that, that's really interesting is, uh, and you can find these examples on YouTube, watch a person develop a piece of software using AI as a co-pilot. In, for, for many years, we've had this concept of a 10x programmer, right? The person that is that much better than the average person. And, you know, we invested in one of those companies around a team of those guys uh, back in the day, Bela. The AI is a billion times better than any of them. 
right? So if you're a company like Cognizant, right? Cognizant has 300,000 developers on staff. A year from now, how many is that? Is that 30,000 or is it 20? I don't know, right? But it's not the same to Bayless point. There's going to be a lot of change and it won't be pre-announced. So right. great discussion, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah I think thanks, the next are being on the podcast, man. Yeah, and the next step is to, to generate lots of these discussions, I think all over the world, hopefully, where uh, educators and government agencies and business executives um, and people on the social um, the social work side are all working together to kind of talk through some of these and hopefully launch some experiments on how to solve it. Um, I just asked uh, Wally, which is OpenAI's image generation tool, to ask, uh, I asked it to generate a picture of two old white guys and one younger white guy doing a podcast interview. Um, and maybe what I'll do is I'll share this so the people who are watching on YouTube can see what it came up with. Um, let's see, share screen. There you go. <laughs> Not super accurate, but you know, I think we're all much better looking than what Wally generated and Wally came up with. But uh, well, it, I think that might be it. it. Why is one I of think, them trying to stab the other guy with a fillet knife? It's because it's, it's I, I not it was perfect technology. It speaks to your original point, Devin. So I thought it was interesting that all three of them in that generated image had facial hair, and none of us have facial hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not that smart yet. But two, of, I guess, and all three had glasses, and only one of us does. But no, Devin, thanks a million for being on, and we'll see if there's a. Uh, uh, listener generated feedback that's not AI generated. Um, maybe we'd love to have you on again and we can do a part two of this because I think there's so much more to we could touch on. Um, but I really appreciate the thinking that you've done on this and some of the writing. Uh, Bela will put a link to your blog post uh, on the uh, on the show notes for this so maybe some users can check or listeners can check it out. Um, but I really hope that um, we can all be part of the solution rather than part of the problem moving forward. So great, great food for thought and thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. It was fun. Yep. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.